Hi guys and welcome back to the Just Josh and Show. Today we're joined by Robin Waite, who's a business coach, author, um, all around genius and around business, to be quite frank. And he's gonna run through some of his fantastic lessons that he's learned and also run through what you should be doing today in order to make your business stand out and make it more profitable. So thank you very much for joining in today's Just Josh and Show. This week we're joined by Robin Waite, who's a um, author of the online business startup, Take Your Shot and many other best-selling books on Amazon. Thank you very much for joining us, Robin. How are you doing today? Yeah, it's an absolute pleasure. Well, it's Friday, so I've got that Friday feeling, Josh. Yeah, yeah, def definitely. Same here. Um, so, for those who kind of haven't come across your books, what is it you're about? Who are you? What is it you do? Uh, well, I, I'm the founder of um, a coaching practice called Fearless Business. Um, been yeah. running that business for four years now. So, we specialise in coaching consultants, coaches, and freelancers how to um, slow down, create space for themselves, i.e., by having fewer clients and confidently charging their worth. Um, a lot of the clients we tend to work with are stuck in that time for money trap. Not, not really kind of valuing themselves. They don't think that they can charge more because they won't get the clients and various things like that. So we yeah. actually just help them to, it's mostly mindset and confidence. We just help them to sort of understand what their true worth is and then to be able to articulate that value to people. Um, I didn't always do that though. So uh, online business startup, obviously you'll, you'll gather as much more about sort of the um, uh, sort of the business startup and marketing sort of world um, with online businesses. So. Uh, we set up Fearless Business in 2016, but for the 12 years before that, I ran a marketing agency predominantly, um, and that was doing web design and branding and things like that. But as we know, like marketing has you know shifted dramatically over the last sort of 10, 15, 20 years, um, and so I, I, you know, when my daughters came along, uh, so I, at that point in 2016, I already had the two-year-old. We're about to have a second daughter, so um, she was about to arrive, and. Just decided that I needed a bit of a change, a bit more flexibility and freedom, yeah. so set up Fearless Business. Okay, so that's all you've been doing for the past four years. So did you, um, how, how was the exit of the marketing business? Did you kind of sell that, shut it down? Um, it, was a, it was acquired, it was kind of merged into another business and unfortunately yeah. the company that got it is now, um, they're now no more, uh, which is a bit, it's kind of bittersweet in a way because I needed that break, but equally to see your baby of 12 years kind of, you know, um, uh, sort of crumble and be taken over and, and not not really done the best job with it afterwards um, but equally it's given me the platform that I'm, I've got now with fearless business so I need I needed to make that break at the time hard as it was um, you know and I haven't haven't done too badly out of it yeah yeah fantastic so at the moment so you, you've got a Facebook group as well you've got all these kind of different marketing avenues so with the fearless business is that having that marketing experience previously has that helped with that with launching that business and growing it to the size it is today yeah massively i mean one one of the things that running the marketing business kind of made me realize was that you know it's all about um usual kind of stuff that you'll have heard a thousand times over but building no like and trust with with yeah. a, a reasonably sized audience and i realized that with um the coaching practice and wanting to elevate myself as a i guess as an author an authority figure uh, a, a, a speaker, you know, within um, within the industry, um, that I had to grow my audience fairly quickly. So I, I kind of, in the first few years, we I set up a local networking group. I probably did about fifty different speaking engagements in that first year alone. That that meant I was giving doing tons of free events and workshops and trainings on and offline, uh, and that that grew my audience pretty massively. So the Facebook group, which you're referring to there. In part, there was a little bit of that grew through online business startup because that sold sort of tens of thousands of copies. But 
we, we repurposed that and then in that first year we managed to get up to over a thousand members in the group and that really sort of um, paved the foundations of um, you know where, where Fearless Business is at now and, and the work we're doing um, and constantly kind of layering on top of it and you know yeah. with the marketing business um, it took me goodness probably it wasn't till the fourth or fifth year that we hit six figures so it's kind of slow going with the coaching practice with everything that I'd learned in that previous business I was able to get it to yeah. six figures in the first 12 months yeah wow yeah so it's kind of having that previous experience kind of once you know exactly what to do you've almost got the recipe for success you know if you do x y z you're not gonna waste time doing trial and error to some extent you've got it and you can just apply it and apply it again and i assume now now you've got that as well you share that with your clients and anyone else you're working with um so they can learn from all of the kind of 12 years of hard slog that you went through yeah 12 years of hard slog plenty of mistakes ups and downs arguments tantrums you name it we, we had it <laughs> Um, and it, it, it was really interesting because I wrote online business startup in about 2014. It was it came out in 2015, and when I was um, I had a mentor. I did a course um, to write the book, and I had a mentor uh, who was sat at the back of the room, a guy called Dan Priestley. And um, I, I I asked a question because it was originally going to be called Why Websites Fail, right? So yeah. which was a bit of a negative title, and it was all going to be about websites. And I said. Listen, there's this chapter I want to write, which is all of, about all of the things that I wish I'd known in business like 10 years ago. And I remember Dan, he's, he's an Aussie. I'm not very good at doing Aussie accents. He's just like, write it, mate, just write it. So, but that actually ended up becoming the first 10 chapters of online business startup. So it wasn't just one chapter, it became 10. And it made yeah. me realize at that point how, how sort of passionate I was about business and how much I, I really didn't want people to have to go through that sort of struggle that, that, that we went through when we first set up. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned there um, you, you had a mentor for that. So for you, in your business success, how important has having a mentor been? Massively. I mean, I'm, I'm a bit of a whore, I'll be honest, Josh, when it comes to mentors. <laughs> like I have, I have life coaches. I've, I've had a dad coach for a while. I'm a member of several mastermind groups, you know, covering all sorts of different topics. Um, uh, I have personal and business coaches like coming out of my ears it's some like personal self-development is, is one of those things that um, I, I would encourage absolutely and I, it doesn't matter whether you're employed or self-employed I think everybody should have a mentor or coach or somebody they can speak to even if it's just a mate down the pub you know we can go well, not anymore obviously because of current <laughs> circumstances so much but um, but he can you know hop onto a zoom session and talk business for an hour because there's, yeah. there's there's stuff kind of going you know some of the best business advice I've had is off one of my my mates you know dad from school who's also runs his own business very different business to mine but we kind of talk about what's working for us what's not working what challenges we've got and things like that and having that sort somebody sort of bounce those ideas off is like it's one of the most valuable things you can you can have in your your life business life or personal life doesn't matter yeah I would agree with that so if anybody who doesn't have a mentor um, it's definitely worth worth looking at how you can get one in your business because ultimately, why would why would anybody kind of want to do the twelve years if you can learn from somebody who's done the twelve years and can give you what you're going to learn, all the mistakes you're going to make, and kind of help you kind of get there a lot faster. Hundred percent. It's it's like it's almost like squashing a blueprint down and that twelve year blueprint down into like less than twelve months or even twelve weeks in some cases. Um, yeah. You know, and it just makes it like. Something as simple as pricing, you know, it, t it took us probably eight or nine years before we started to become like much more fearless about how we were pricing our products in that marketing agency. 
And I remember like the, the first time we did a major price increase, we 5X'd our web, website and hosting fees. Um, you know, my business partner's doing the international sun distress. Oh, nobody will ever buy at that price. It's just ridiculous, Robin. What You don't know what you're talking about. And I was like, yeah. we're never going to know for sure unless we try it. And what, what we have been doing hasn't really been working as well as we would like. So let's give it a go. If it doesn't work yeah. out, we can, you know, worst case, we go back to what we were doing before. And yeah, we, we 5X'd our prices. We did lose 40% of our clients, um, which wasn't a bad thing because our support calls dropped by 80%. So yeah. there, there is something called uh, PITAF tax, which you get in a service-based business where like Pareto's principle kicks in and 80% yeah. of your clients are brilliant, 20% are just a proper pain in the arse and are constantly on your, your case for like extra support and extra this and we want more that and that's too expensive and um, they end up taking 80% of your time up. So what happened that naturally, we 5X our support and hosting fees, the 40% of the clients left, 80% of our support calls just fell off the face of the planet, which was great. But our yeah. revenues overnight went up by two and a half times. And, wow. and I was like, that, that was one of the, I mean, it was kind of a bit of a happy accident, albeit I had, we planned it. But when it happened, I, I was like, wow, the benefits from that were just phenomenal. Um, that actually, that, we made that decision around about the, the last sort of financial crisis back in 2008, 2009. Yeah. And I would say that one decision took us all the way through that financial, you know, the bounce back on that financial crisis. It enabled us to start thinking about taking on employees. So we had our first employees when every, every other business is panicking and firing people. We're like starting to take people on. Yeah. And, and I would solidly attribute it to just being a bit more brave about pricing. Yeah, so, so getting that pricing right is key. So what tips or what tips would you have for people about their pricing? So for businesses at the moment that are kind of just looking at a competitor's website, maybe undercutting it a little bit, what tips do you have for those people? Well, the, the first thing is just to have a bit of a growth mindset about the whole thing. So if you find yourself saying, we can't put our prices up because that's a fixed mindset, you're never going to be yeah. able to have the opportunity to make more profit if you're using, if, if the word can't stops, you know, starts creeping into your sentences. So the first thing is about being open-minded about the possibility that you could put your prices up. It's just about how you position it, what sort of clients you're positioning it in front of, how you're articulating that value, how you're kind of, you know, talking about how amazing you are to your prospective clients. So yeah. that's the first thing is you just got, got to sow the seed of an idea that we're, we're going to close some clients, but at a higher price point. The second thing is, again, it's slightly linked to that, <clears throat> excuse me, slightly linked to that um, is about when, you know, a lot of people, when they start out in business, they'll go and look at their competition and see what they're charging. And they'll either charge the lowest because they think that's yeah. how you compete. They'll charge a mid-range amount because they don't want to be the most expensive, but they don't want to be the cheapest either. And then, <clears throat> if you think about it, take accountants, for example. There's probably 20 accountants in the local area. And um, only one of them can be the most expensive. Yet that accountant's yep. probably been around for the longest, and they're not struggling to get clients. So there's a clue there. You can be the most expensive and grow and build a, you know, maintain a sustainable business. So I always encourage people. I'm like, you don't have to just jump straight to being the most expensive. You work your way up to it. And, and, and the, the mistake is if you look at your competition and assume that they're actually right and know what they're talking about, because the reality yeah. is like if Josh looks at Dave at his prices and Dave's looking at Chantel, Chantel's looking at Charlotte and Charlotte's looking back at Josh, well, who, <laughs> who out of the four of you is an expert in pricing? Yeah. Like none of you, you're all kind of just winging it, which is what we do. So, uh, you know, I like to think that I apply a little bit of science to pricing. So 
that's the second thing is, you know, look at your competition, but don't assume they're right. The third thing then is about um, data and feedback, basically. So most businesses have a conversion rate of somewhere between one in five and one in three. Okay. A lot of business owners I speak to go, oh, my, I'm better than that. My conversion rate's 80 to 90%. I'm like, cool, double your prices and then come <laughs> back to me and tell me you've kept the same conversion rate. Because if you can do that, you're good at sales. Okay. Yeah. Because um, that's what a good salesperson would do. And, and so, oh, well, Robin, that's just ridiculous. Can't double our prices, nobody buy it. Well, there you go. Okay, so this is how we're going to do it. So what we do then is we say, okay, we don't have to double them, but if you're confident, if you like, well, I'll put them up a little bit, 20, 30%. Great, okay. Well, yeah. go and pitch it to the next 10 or 20 people at 20 to 30% more than what you have been pitching at. And if we get somewhere between, you know, one in five and one in three of them saying yes, we're in the sweet spot. If you're still selling too many, you know, converting too many over one in three, well, we need to artificially like reduce that conversion rate, put your prices up again. So we gradually over several weeks, gradually increment the prices until you reach that sort of sweet spot. Supply meets demand. We're making a good, good profitability within the business. Uh, the, the business owner's happy because they're taking on fewer clients. They've got a bit more time to deliver a better quality product. And if, yeah. you, can, if you can do those three things, like that, that will, it, it doesn't matter like, most business owners are busy like focusing on marketing. Yeah. Like, more clients, need more clients, need more clients. Well, actually, like pretty much every business that, business owner that I meet, they don't need more clients, they need a better business. <laughs> so you get a better business, so it's working better for you as a, as a business owner, then you sprinkle sort of marketing pixie dust over the top of it and, and you get a yeah. second stage of growth. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely agree with you. that. Is yeah, that's uh, really is what a lot of people need to hear. Um, it's kind of what they're scared to think. So, if anybody who's looking to implement that, um, would you say just go ahead, do it, increase your prices by twenty, thirty percent to start off with? Yeah, but have have like Mel Gibson's Braveheart at the back of your like sitting on your shoulder because, <laughs> like I said, it takes probably for most people it'll take about four to six weeks to find ten to twenty prospects to like pitch your products to. Clients are like buses. Occasionally, the first one like you pitch to will say yes, and that will give you an yeah. immediate boost of confidence. Quite often, though, like the first eight will say no, and it will be the last two who say yes. So yeah. you have to like braveheart, hold, just stand firm <laughs> until you've got all of that data. And like, fair enough. If if you pitch twenty people and each and every one of them says no, there's two things going on there. One, maybe your prices are out of whack, and it is just too too crazy. People just don't want to invest that much. What's more likely is that if your product is better and you're trying to sell it at a higher price point, you've now got to upskill yourself in terms of sales. So you've just got to learn yeah. to sell like better. It's a different product, different, probably a different market potentially if it's a higher price point. So you know, having, having somebody like a, um, a coach to be able to, um, I encourage everybody to record all of their sales calls, like all of the time, listen back to them periodically listen out for when the client like challenged you with an objection and, and how did you handle it? Did you handle it confidently? Or were you, did you feel like you were a bit like, you know, when somebody says how much, oh gosh, that's expensive. You like Gollum and you're really kind of backing off into the, you know, into the depths. Most people hate talking about money and that's very closely linked to sort of mindset and your sales ability. Well, yeah, 100%, that's, that's fantastic. Uh, so in terms of the conversion rate, so you said mentioned kind of between one in five and one in three is what people really should be aiming for. Yeah, 100%. And um, scientifically proven, uh, Google wrote a white paper on it called Zero Moments of Truth. 
You can go back to the Dark Ages of Cold Calling where they talk about um, 70 10 2, 70 calls, 10 appointments, 2 sales. Um, and a lot of people kind of, they wing it in business and they're not tracking those stats through. Um, yeah. So most people don't even know what their conversion rate is. Their gut instinct, oh, it's 80 to 90%. When you challenge them on it, how many calls have you had? How many have you converted? It actually ends up being a lot lower than that. Um, so I'm always on about like get, get, be really specific about the data which you're collecting in your business. So you, you implicitly know how many calls you're booking with prospective clients and how many of them go on to become clients. And like, you know, one in five to one in three may sound low, but the reality is in business, you do want to be turning away more clients than you're taking on. Most of us yeah. as small business owners only have like a finite amount of time that we work. And even if you're working like full time, like 160, 180 hours a month or something like that. So most of us can't take all of the clients on. Um, the reality is as well, like if you go, if your conversion rate's really high and you're too cheap, it's going to be you're going to be eroding your profitability there or just end up burning out because your capacity yeah. is just going to be absolutely full up and so as much as you want to take on more clients you actually can't and and so you can see kind of how how potentially detrimental that is to an individual so the goal here isn't to have all of the clients as much as you maybe want to um maybe for the first couple of years it's about having far fewer clients but making more profit yeah that gives you resources it then gives you resources in a couple of years time that you can then evolve your product. Maybe if it's a service business, turn it into a group based product or hire people and start to automate elements of it. Um, you know, leverage it. That stuff takes time. It takes money to be able to invest, reinvest back into the business to then build those assets. If you're just like taking on all the clients and have no time and not making the money now, you're never going to be able to do that. So that's why it's really yeah. important to slow the process right down and to start, you know, looking at the bare economics of how your business stands up. Yeah, 100%, I suppose, even before, so that's definitely one thing is get your pricing right, but before you even go that far, business owners, do you reckon they should have kind of clear, concise goals of what they want to achieve in their life and then their business? Is that kind of how you recommend, how, what's your, what are your thoughts on effective goal setting? Yeah, well, I, I don't, I mean, I'm, I'm a very practical guy, Josh, I'll be honest, and I, I, I'm, I'm learning about the woo-woo side of goal setting and manifestation and stuff like that. And we, we have a yeah. mindset, because I'm not, I'm not good on the mindset. Stuff. I know a bit about it, but I'm not qualified. So we have a mindset coach in Fearless Business, for example, who deals with, with the, the, that, that woo-woo side of it. And she, she's got no, Kate's got no problem with me calling it that either. She loves the fact <laughs> But goal setting, like from a practical, tactical perspective in business, um, if you, let's say for example, if you want to um, uh, run a six-figure business, so make a hundred grand a year, um, you can start to again just do some basic maths and work out like how achievable, realistic that is. So, you know, if you're selling a hundred dollar, uh, sorry, a hundred pounds, sorry, I do a lot of uh, interviews in the US, so I speak dollars sometimes. <laughs> Let's say your product's 100 pounds. Now, you've got to sell a thousand of those products in order to make 100K. Yeah. If you actually do your maths and go, well, I don't have the capacity, I've only got the capacity to deliver 200 of those, like we're only operating at 20% of the capacity, we're never going to achieve that goal. So it's super important that you pick your goal, whatever that is, and start to reverse engineer it and make sure that it's actually feasible, it's gonna, it's gonna work out. So, you know, if you've only got the capacity for 200, well, actually your widgets need to be sold at 500 pounds, not 100 pounds, Yeah. right? And then it's not a question of, oh, well, nobody's ever gonna buy it 500 pounds. It's like, this is where we move into growth mindset. How can I build my product 
so it's good enough that people would spend £500 on it? Or do we have like an espresso machine, and I'll explain that in a second, do we have an espresso machine, so we have our £500 widget, but we've also got a £2,500 espresso machine, right? So the espresso machine okay. is, um, uh, there's a, a great consultant in the, in the States called Perry Marshall, and he wrote a book called um, Detox, Declutter and Dominate, I think it's called. It's only a short little 34-page book. He yeah. talks about these espresso machines, and it's great. Next time you go into Costa, um, have a look on the shelf behind, because like most people go into Costa because they just want to buy their cup of coffee, right? Some people go in there because they, they love Costa enough, they'll buy their cup of coffee, and they'll also buy a bag of beans. If you look up on the, the, the counter of most Costas, there's an espresso machine. Because they know that for every 100 people that, that come into their shops regularly, so they're loyal clients, one of them, one day, is going to walk in and go, can I have my skinny Frappa Choco Mochaccino uh, and a bag yeah. of um, uh, beans? Oh, and that espresso machine, I'll take that too. Okay, yeah. So the espresso machine, so a cup of coffee is like £3. Right? Yeah. £2.50, £3 or something like that. Bag of coffee, maybe 5 £10, depends on the size of bag you're buying. But they know that you can effectively, for every 100 people, you can quadruple your prices and still get 20% of the people buying it. Okay. So they could sell, you know, let's work on three pounds. So four pound, you know, bag of beans, and twenty people out of the hundred are going to buy a bag of beans. You can quadruple that again, and there'll be a thirty-six pound product they've got, maybe a, a, a gold embossed like Costa mug, that's like fifty quid. They know that five, four or five people are going to buy that. Quadruple that again, and now we've got a few hundred pounds for an espresso machine. They know that one person is going to buy that. Most business owners don't have an espresso machine. Yeah, is that is that kind of um, is that often terms of your product ladder? So is that another what kind of way of looking at? You've got each one so that each time people kind of buy into you and your business more, they want to go up a step. So it's basically having something for everybody every every step, and then overall your average cart value, your average customer value, is just kind of ten x because you've had all these different products. You've got that espresso machine. That's it, absolutely. So you know, think think about coaches. You know. Um, my book's a good example of that. You know, the book the book is like perceived value ten pounds. That's how much most people would kind of spend on a on a paperback book in you know Waterstone Smiths or on Amazon. Yeah. Uh, it only cost me two pounds to produce each one of those. So the perceived value of it is five times greater than what it cost me to actually get a book printed out. Right. So that's yeah. the starting point. From there, it might be the book. Then you know they go and check out YouTube channel, Facebook group, things like that. But then they might show up to one of my events, which I put on. They might buy a, one of my sort of um, you know a Facebook ads course or a sales course or something like that, which I've got a few of those, sort of lower ticket price. Then eventually yeah. they'll you know we'll have a conversation once the trust is built, come into the, the group coaching program. Eventually they might become a one-to-one -one client. Eventually they might then need a scaling product, you know, and that's where you start to get into the you know. So you've gone from like a a ten pound book up to, you know, a 50K sort of scaling product for a larger business. Yeah, absolutely incredible. And I suppose most people, it just goes back to mindset, doesn't it? You've got that fixed mindset. Quite a lot of people, especially kind of just starting up, you've got that fixed mindset. So it's just about flipping that to actually thinking differently and thinking, okay, what else can I do? You can add this here. Um, and it's just about getting that kind of, seeing that it's possible and then taking it from there. So that's kind of where someone like yourself reading your books and it certainly that's where it certainly comes from. And I, I would say as well, like um, the, 
Perfectionism is the one thing that's going to stop most business owners from evolving like a really great product ladder as you've called it. We call it product architecture. So we want them all to be more integrated than just kind of stepping like stepping stones. They all should work yeah. sort of holistically together. Um, you know, t take our, take off, you know, a fearless scaling product at 50 K. I don't need to have designed all of the ins and outs of that. I've just got to have enough of an idea in here who it's for, where it's going to add the most amount of value and what I need to stack into that product in order to, you know, to get the desired outcome or result. Um, yeah. I, I, I remember when I, when I first launched the, the current version of the accelerator. So this is full disclosure, Josh, but I, hopefully it's an interesting story because <laughs> we live in a world now where everything is kind of online. Most service based businesses want to have an online version of what they're doing for obvious reasons. Um, yeah. You know, so, uh, you can't not nod to the COVID crisis, which is you know on, ongoing at the moment. The second, third, well, third lockdown now here in the UK. So, so online is is a big thing at the moment. Um, and our, everybody's like panicked. They kind of like went to online. They're like, oh, we've got to build the perfect course before we launch it. You know, next thing you know, the first lockdown's over and they haven't finished building their course. Yeah. I took a different tack. I, I mean, I've been online for years anyway, as you know, but. Um, the version of our, our accelerator, I came up with the concept in sort of around about October 2000 and, uh, 2018. Uh, I through a launch sequence in, in that following November in 2018. We got 30 yeah. people signed up to it. I hadn't designed the course, I hadn't built it. <laughs> I was just signaling to see whether people would be interested in it. And I had a whole load of people who said, yes, we'd love to get involved with that. Because they yeah. they'd followed me for a while and I hadn't... I hadn't like I'm a big fan of not cannibalizing your audiences, like launch something at the right time when you've got something really significant to offer. So I think everybody was kind of waiting for me to put something out. Anyway, we, it, the, the, the start date was going to be sort of 1st of Jan 2019. I was like, shit, I've got 30 people now. I probably should build something. Um, and I literally, I locked myself in a room for four days and my, I had an office in town at the time. So um, much to my wife's chagrin, I locked myself in an office for four days, and I, I built, I designed and built the whole course. You know, there's 80 yeah. modules in it. We have a thick workbook that for people to work through. I built the whole online portal as well on the back end of it. Filmed all the videos and just just knocked it out. And I, the way I figured was that the best feedback you can get is when actually things aren't perfect. Yeah. Thing, things are too good and you're not getting feedback. There's no way to improve it. So I figured, well, I'll launch this thing, and if I get, if people say it's rubbish or whatever, I can always refund them. But at least I, they'll be able to tell me what they liked, didn't like, what they want more of or less of, and things like that. And actually, everybody said, it's brilliant. It's more than what we expected. It's like, you know, um, it's better than anything we ever expected that, you know, not that people had low expectations of me, but you know what I mean? So so we launched it. And, prob and then over time, we realized that there was probably, you know, three or four modules that things that we kept on cropping up on the coaching calls. We were like, ah, oh, we should probably just create some content around that. So we just added in an extra couple of modules as they cropped up. And I've always been meaning to go back and there's a couple of things where maybe the production level isn't as high as I would like. You know, I've got all the lights and cameras and stuff now, but I yeah. didn't have those then. So I'd like to go back and maybe re-record some of the content. And I, I asked the crew, my crew, it's like, what do you think? Should I re And they're like, no, it's great. Does the job. Yeah. Whereas if not, I suppose most, the way most people look at that is they think, okay, yeah, let's get this perfect. They'd launch it. Um, and then at that point, you don't actually know whether what you've done is good or not. So you could waste all this time doing it, try and sell it. And actually, you've wasted the past month or so, um, at the very least. And it's not worked out as well as you thought. So it's best to kind of launch that minimum viable product first, isn't it? And get it out there, see what the market wants.
Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mentioned him earlier on, Dan, Dan Priestley. So he, he also yeah. talks about, um, he's got a book called Oversubscribed, which you can, anybody can learn an awful lot from. So he talks about kind of having that, I, I had that had that audience of raving fans and he talks about marketing for signals, not sales. So yeah. when you've got the audience and you've got an idea for something, before you even get into build mode, just drop something into your Facebook group or out into your Instagram followers or, or YouTube channel, wherever it is, and just say, hey, I'm thinking about doing this, what, what do you think? And then you'll get a group of people who are kind of like, yeah, that sounds really cool actually. And then when you get enough of those people who are signaling signaling interest, that's the point where you go into sort of build mode or launch mode, you know, and you can do them both yeah. simultaneously. I've seen some very good um, online businesses, coaches who have, um, for example, they've, they've, they've launched their product and they, they will build it week by week as they go because they'll just knock out the PowerPoint presentation, do the learning and the Q&A, and that becomes module one of the course. And they do that yeah. week by week until they've built the course. Um, and then they just make it evergreen after that. Yeah, that's, that's a fantastic way of kind of having, uh, just basically a fantastic way of thinking in business. Um, so I'm sure that's going to be kind of hugely valuable just to kind of think what can you do differently when launching a new product. Thank you very much for that. We'll just wrap things up with your number one tip for people in business at the moment. And, you know, especially for the COVID times we're in lockdown three, however long this might last. What's your number one tip for business, business owners today? I, my, my, my biggest tip is really just kind of start to understand like who you are as a business owner and recognize that actually, you know, I talked about 7010 sort of midway through the um, our chat and f for every two yeses, you're getting 68 no's. So rejection is actually a massive part of business, like people saying no to you. And I think once you understand that, um, you know, once you understand that simple principle, you can start to stop this kind of you know people pleasing mentality you can yeah. detach emotionally from whether people like what you're putting out or not and my best piece of advice is like if you're if you're not if you're putting stuff out into faith in, you know out into the ether in whatever media you're kind of marketing yourself from if you're not getting negative feedback you're actually doing it wrong because for every one person like who is a, a hater a naysayer or do, doesn't understand like who you are and your brand there's, there's another one or 10 people over on this side who love what you do. And so yeah. I think I've seen too many business owners kind of like just lose confidence and um, stop putting stuff out because one person doesn't like pops up with a negative comment. Um, yeah. So stand up for what you believe in and, um, you know, grow your audience of raving fans, people who love what you do. And you actually don't need many of them to have like a really successful small business. Um, so that, that's kind of my parting words. Go out there and piss a few people off because the likelihood <laughs> is you're actually pe pleasing an awful lot of people too. Yeah, absolutely. I I definitely echo that. And you know, you've always got one idiot who doesn't like a Ferrari, um, but there's plenty of people that do and pay good money for them. Um, okay, so for those who want to follow you, get in touch with you, how can people learn learn more about you and get in touch? Um, so you mentioned about the book, Take Your Shot. So um, for, for anybody who's, who's watching this, listening to this, um, you take, you've taken sort of 30 minutes out of your day. So to reward that, I'll offer you a free copy of Take Your Shot. Uh, you can get that from fearless.biz, hit the resources link, and then there's an option to go and download the book there. For, if you're based in the UK, I'll actually sign a, a, a copy and send it out to you in the post as well. Um, but yeah, fearless.biz is the best place to get hold of me. And then you can, you can pretty much Google me uh, you'll find my Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, The Works. Um, we've got a great um, group on um, Facebook as well. It's called Confidently Charge More. So if you want to learn about how to increase your prices, 
and, and how to articulate your values so that you, you kind of build that audience of raving fans, um, do, do go and check that out on Facebook as well. Perfect. Thank you very much. We'll put all the links um, to get that get that free book. We'll put it in the show notes in the description. Um, but yeah, thank you very much, Robin. It's been an absolute pleasure having you. I've certainly learned a lot and we'll be watching this recorded back for myself. Um, yeah, thank you very much. That's my pleasure. Thanks, Josh, for inviting me on. Really appreciate it. Perfect. Thanks for listening, guys. So, wow, that really was an incredible interview. So thankful for Robin for giving us his time today to share his wisdom all the notes to for learn more about him to get your free copy of the book are in the show notes below but that's all for today guys so thank you for watching and listening it's been a pleasure bye